Let's go back to Romans 11, finish it up. Um, I, I, I've said to you that I have a special attraction to um, Romans 11 because of verse 36. It's the thing that's on our cornerstone out here. If you go right out those doors, you'll see it's right there. It's for from him, through him, and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Um, but I said to you, this last verses 33 through 36 is, a, is what, what is called a, well, it's a doxology. It's a, um, somebody called it the sublimest apostrophe in all of sacred writ. <laughs> I'm not even sure what those words mean. Uh, I know what sublime means and I know what uh, sacred writ is. I'm not sure what I'm, what he meant by apostrophe, but when, when people come to write about this, they, they, they use the, the most ethereal words they can come up with because it is so, um, it is such a piece of doxology. We talked about that last week. The last sentence of verse 33 is where we, I want to resume and then we'll, we'll work through it um, because that's where I kind of left you off last week. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. Now, just to, as an effort to organize the text for you, verses 34 and 35 are nothing but a commentary on the second sentence of verse 33. He makes a statement, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Those are simply amplifying this, this statement of, of wonder that God's ways and his judgments are unsearchable. Uh, they're inscrutable. And then, of course, we'll, we'll look at verse 36 separate from that. But really, the last half of 33 and 34 and 35 are, are really one, one thought. And, and I, um, guys, in all of the, the, uh, All of the, the wonder of the, of the text, I don't want you to miss what is being claimed. I mean, I, I want you to see what Paul is doing here. It's almost like he's drawing a comparison. I, I said to you last week that much of the, or, or some of the problem of, of the 21st century church is because we've got these meager views of God. And, and uh, then Paul comes along and what he does is says, if you want to have a meager view, then have a meager view of man, but not of God. And then he makes this statement in verse 36 that we'll look at at the end. But it's just, it's off the charts for, from him and through him and to him. Those, those three little prepositions are just comprehensive. And we'll see. But, but he says that, that man cannot understand his ways and his judgments. And there are numerous ramifications of that. I mentioned one last week. But the first ramification is that because God's ways are inscrutable, you, you're never going to figure them out intellectually. That is, no man is ever going to understand the gospel by applying his intellect alone. Because the, the ways of God are inscrutable. They're past finding out. And so the, the gospel is not a matter of one's intellect. The gospel is grasped because of an intervention on the part of God's Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. But that's one ramification. Man in and of himself will never, will never understand the gospel. Um, 
You know, guys, have you ever had that experience? Have you ever talked to somebody and just poured out all you could possibly think of as, as that, the, that the gospel is a free offer of grace through faith in Jesus Christ and, and, you, and they're looking at you, you know, like, do you, you get it? And then, and then you say, do you understand? And they say, I think. Well, could you, could you explain it back to me? And they say, well, you got to kind of live a good life so that you can please God. And it's like, wait a minute. That's not what I said. I didn't, I didn't say anything like that. How did you hear that? Well, the reason that that happens, ladies and gentlemen, is because his, his judgments are inscrutable and his ways are unsearchable. Left to himself, man will never figure them out. And uh, he, he, Paul drives this inability on the part of man, uh, on the part of unregenerate man, he drives that home by these verses 34 and 35. Um, no one will ever come to know God's, God's mind on his own. He, he, he says, who has known the mind of the Lord? The answer is nobody. Who's ever counseled God? Nobody. Or who has ever given anything to God, given a gift to Him that, that, that He might be repaid? Nobody. You see, the, the 21st century man is so benighted, so, I don't, I don't mean this in the crassest sense, but he is spiritually ignorant. He will never get it because they are, his ways are past finding out. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, that's one ramification, but there's another ramification. That's, that is, the unregenerate man will never get it because his ways are inscrutable. But very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, the regenerate man, there are certain ways, there are certain judgments of God that are past finding out for the regenerate man. You know, I, I, I sat in my, at my desk at home and just thought of some of the conundrums that are just, they're mind-boggling. Um, why did God allow evil? And these are just ones I came up with. I mean, um, why did he allow Satan to tempt Adam and Eve? Why is salvation by faith alone? I mean, if I were going to design a salvation, I wouldn't design it like that. I'd have to throw in some kind of merit on my part in there somewhere. Why, why, why is salvation by faith alone? Or why did God choose Israel and not Egypt? Why did he choose Saul, that, that persecutor of the... Why did he choose me? I don't know. His ways are inscrutable and his judgments are past finding out. Is that okay with you? Can you live like that? Can you live with a God who does not and refuses to answer all of your questions? Is it okay that he doesn't explain himself to you and all that he does? 
Because one of the ramifications is that the, that the unregenerate man will never figure out the gospel. But another ramification is that the regenerate man will never figure out all of his ways and all of his judgments. I have a friend. I have a friend, um, in, he lives in Orlando, Florida. We went to seminary together. And we, when, when, uh, while we were in seminary together, uh, his name is Chuck. And Chuck, um, Chuck had had a trampoline accident. At the age of 17, he broke his neck. And so he walked with a cane and he walked, you know, kind of like this. But, I mean, he got, got around great. And this is, I was in seminary from 72 to 75. So, I mean, he's walking with that cane. So, um, he's a little older than I am. And, um, he, he goes down to Orlando, Florida and he starts a church. He, uh, marries a little girl who's Lebanese. And, um, they found her in a, in a motel in Mobile, Alabama with a man who ran a Firestone store. It just devastated him. He finally, um, tried to get over that, went back to the ministry and, or he, he took some time off and went back to the church. It was a good church in Orlando and he went back to the church and then, um, he ate some raw oysters and contracted hepatitis C. Bad one. Then, um, I mean, that just devastated him physically. So he had to ultimately leave the ministry. Susie and I had supper with him. I don't know when, what year it was. It's got to be 10 years ago. And by that time, he was in one of those chairs. One of those electric, those mobilized chairs. And, but he got around, and, and I'm telling you, he's the wittiest, he's the funniest, he's the, he's the most delightful guy to be with. And so it was just the three of us had supper with him in a place called the Columbia in, in, in Ybor City in Tampa. You ever been there? It's a great little spot. Yeah. Great little spot. And, uh, but he ordered a steak. And, um, and I'm just, you know, I don't know what I ordered. I'm just chowing down. And my wife says to him, Chuck, would you like for me to cut your steak? And he said, yeah, if you could. I could go on like this for 25 minutes, but, Today, I, I talked to him. Uh, we saw him about two years ago in his house in Orlando. And um, he, he, has a, he, has a, he has a crane over his bed. And he has a track in his ceiling. And the crane comes in and scoops him out of his bed and, and takes him over to his chair and sits him in the chair. And, this, and this, this, this crane can take him all the way around his house on that track that's in the ceiling. And, but he, once he gets into his chair, he, um, he can, you know, move around in his chair. He got a dog, one of those dogs that, you know, that opens the door for you and closes the door. And then, and then, uh, they, they bought a van. And, and Chuck can ultimately, by the way, he remarried to a precious woman. Um, he, he got it, he had a van. And, you know, so he's got some freedom to roam around Orlando and do some things and do a little preaching on the side. And and so today I called him and I said, he answered the phone and he's just a hilarious dude. And we just laugh about how wicked we are. And, and um, but I said, Chuck, you sound great. He said, well, I am great. He said, the Lord has given me a great attitude. And I said, well, how are you doing physically? He said, well, three months ago today, February the 20th, he had a stroke. 
now the little the one movement that he had with his hand to to do the joystick on his electric car he can't do it so he's lost he can't get in his chair he can't drive his car and he said linda his wife has to do everything for him why i don't No. His ways are past finding out and His judgments are inscrutable. I don't get it. But can you, can you, can you love Him without the answers to your questions? Can you, can you go on? Can you keep on serving a God who's, who, who confounds the very people who love Him? Is that okay with you? Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the things that are being claimed, that are being claimed here. His judgments are past finding out. So there's going to have to be a point that you come to sooner or later over something where you say, can you do that? Or will you continue to demand that he explain himself to you? You know, I know the story. I've said this before. The story of Jesus in the temple when he was 12, you know, and his parents leave him and, and, um, um, and they go off a day and, and uh, they realize he's not with them. And so then they have to come back a day and that's two days. And it takes a day to find him and he finds him in the temple. And you remember what Mary said to him? Mary, his mother, she says, Why do you treat us this way? (laughs) Yeah, why does he? Why does he treat us this way? I don't know. I don't know. His ways are inscrutable. His judgments are past finding out. Verses 34 and 35, man has, uh, for who has known the mind of the Lord, um, we got no advice to give God. You know, th- here's how we pray. We got a situation and, uh, and we say, um, now God, this is a serious situation I'm in. And, and, um, it, and so as I see it, here are your three options. Um, uh, you know, I lost my job and I, um, we're running low on money. And as I, as I see it, here are your options. You can get me another job or you can have, uh, my, my uncle die and I can inherit his estate. Or uh, my wife can get a job and she can make a lot of money. One of those three. So you work on those three. And uh, when, when you figure out which one you'll want, get back with me and let me know. Folks, no one has any advice. That, that's what that says. For who has known the mind or who has been his counselor? You know, ladies and gentlemen... We're not only ignorant of his ways, we're ignorant of our own. We do not, not only do we not understand him, we don't understand us. To think that we could give him some advice. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I find absolutely baffling, at least when I'm dealing with the non-Christian world, I find absolutely baffling. I don't understand this. Because there's such 
devotees of the theory of evolution. You know, I'm a creationist, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a six-day, 24-hour creationist, and I love every opportunity that I get to defend that. Um, but that's not my point. <laughs> what, I wanna, what I can't understand is why would the non-Christian world glory in the fact that somebody told them that their origin was in slime? Why do they like that? And not only do they like it, they defend it with all of their energies. Oh, you know you're just an accident, don't you? You're just the, this is what um, Bertrand Russell said, that you're, we're the accidental collocation of atoms. How, how, why would you like that? Why would you want to defend that? Why would you want to promote that? Oh, I'm just a, you know, an accident, given enough time and methane gas, here I am. But yet they, not only do they, do they believe it, they fight you over it. I'm fighting to tell you that I am from slime! Why would somebody want to do that? Why would somebody glory and boast in the fact that their origin is in slime? But they do. Because he's got no wisdom to offer God. You know, I, um, there was a guy, his name is Sir Frederick Hoyle. Um, and he's not a Christian. I, I guess he's a statistician or something. And he said that the, the chances of inorganic material becoming organic material. That's right. The chances are 10... Now, that's a non-Christian speaking. And, and if you know anything about um, this, that's a 10 with 40,000 zeros. One chance in that many. And yet, he, he glories in that. He, he considers that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what he would say. Well, what you're saying is we got a chance. That, uh, he glory, and I think, why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, he's basically become irrational. L- listen to the listen to the average unregenerate man try to explain how one gets right with God. You ever listen to that? Just talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and ask them. All right, um, do you have any desire to be? Or, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I want to be right with God. How do you do it? invariably 100,000 times out of 100,000 times he's going to tell you that there's something that you got to do to earn it some kind of behavior some kind of lifestyle some kind of goodness that he's and and yet this, this text says you don't know the mind of the lord you have no wisdom no advice to give but he thinks he's got it he thinks he understands it and he thinks he succeeded in pulling it off. You know, I, I heard a preacher say this, and I thought, now this would be a good idea. Here's what's let's let, let's do this. Let's propose this. Listen, forget the gospel, forget salvation, forget 
sin. Forget the Ten Commandments. Forget all of it. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the deal. You're not going to be judged according to Ten Commandments. You're not going to be judged. Here's here's how we're going to judge you. We're going to take an invisible little tape recorder. You can't see it. That's why they call it invisible. And we're going to put it around your neck. And it's going to follow you around all of your life. And every time you use the word should or ought, it's going to come on and it's going to record. Well, you know, you really ought to uh, be uh, uh, nicer to those people down at the uh, at the, the uh, grocery store. And it records. Well, what you should do is go back and apologize to your uh, your wife. It records. And at the end of your life, it's going to play back all of the things that you said should and could be done or ought to be done. And we're going to be judged just by our own knowledge and awareness of oughts and shoulds. Who needs the Ten Commandments? Because, ladies and gentlemen, we haven't even lived up to our own oughts and shoulds. And yet, who has known the mind of the Lord? Me! Me, me, I got it. I got it. It's it. All you have to do is help little old ladies across the street, give money to the United Way, and and be faithful to your wife, and attend church and sing in the choir. Do you see what? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Do you see what's being claimed here, ladies and gentlemen? The answer is, apart from regenerative grace. Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? Um, to whom is God a debtor? Who has any claims on God? I mean, folks, we're the debtor. But we're not only a debtor, we're thieves. Because we have taken things that don't belong to us. We've taken things from him that don't belong to us. And we we have we often think that for some reason, because we've served him, that God owes us something. Who has given who has who has given a gift to him that he might be might be repaid? You know, our our labors in vacation Bible school, that's that's hard work. That's a hard week, isn't it? I mean there's a lot of There's a lot of emotional sweat that goes into that thing. But who has given such that we need to be repaid? All of of our, our desires to simply serve Him don't put Him in our debt. Um, We don't earn credits by, by living a good life or tithing or 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 teaching a Sunday school. No one has ever given him a gift. And by his so doing, God was put in the position that he need needs to pay him back. Nothing. 
Nothing. And then, guys, he closes off by saying, For from him and through him and to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Guys, this is not rocket science. You can figure this out. But just think about from, through, to. From means, you know, the origins. Everything has its sense of origin and its source of beginning from this God. He is, he is in charge of my past through everything in the middle from the origins to the end, from the, from the, from the beginning to the two, through Him, for from Him and through Him, my past, my present, and to Him, my future. All of it. All of it, folks. He is, he is the source, He is the sustainer, and He is the end. To Him be glory for every, for, forever. Everything leads to God. The, the end of everything, folks, is, is His glory. I want to show you this because th- this is somewhat of a shock to um, the system. If you've never seen it before, if you haven't, if you have seen it, then if you can find real quickly 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Um, if you've never seen this, this might be a shock to your system. But again, I, I hope you have seen it before, so it won't be a shock. To I'm not trying to shock your system. But uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. Now guys, there's a lot of pronouns in there. Let's sort this out real quickly. It's not that hard. When all things are subjected to Him, who is that Him? Nope. It's God the Son. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son, the Son Himself, will also be subjected to Him. Who's the, who's that Him? God the Father, who, that is God the Father, put all things in subjection under Him. Who is that Him? God the Son. <laughs> okay, let me read. When all things are subjected to Jesus, then Jesus Himself will be subjected to God the Father who put all things in subjection under Jesus that God may be all in all. Do you see that, guys? Do you see, do you see where the, the, the history of mankind is going? Do you see what the final culmination of all of human history concludes with? It concludes with the Father having put all things under the, the subjection and the dominance of the Son... And then the Son taking all of that and giving it back, including Himself, and placing all of that into subjection to the One who put that in subjection to the Son in the first place. 
Because all things are to Him. Folks, the the end of the redemptive story is not your salvation. The end of the redemptive story, the goal of all salvation is, is the glory of God. God's glory. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. That's where this is all headed, ladies and gentlemen. That's where it's all going. So that the Father ultimately will be glorified. Let me, let me try to wrap this up real quick. Does your understanding of your salvation bring you to this doxology? Can you say amen to this? Once Paul got, by the way, I think I told you this last week. Once we turn the page and we go to chapter 12, he's going to start talking about how to live in light of all these glorious truths that he just taught us. But for now, having taught all these truths, once he's considered all these great things that he wants you to know about what's true about God, he, where it leads him is to this doxology. Does your understanding of God's, what, what he's done, who he is, what he's like and what he demands, does it lead you to this doxology? Can you, in your, in that place where only you and God go, down in that soul of yours, can you say amen to this? I bet you can. I bet you do. I bet you, I mean, maybe, maybe, I bet you this thrills you just about as, as much as it thrills me. But let me, let me do something real quick. Let me wrap up this semester by just, just mentioning again the beauties of grace. First of all, the, the grace by which God saves us, it begins in humility. That is, it begins with the understanding that my sin has ruined me. And if God doesn't do something, I will perish. An understanding of grace begins with that sense of right, that realization that I'm ruined. It moves from there to a recognition of what He has done in Christ and thus to thanksgiving. It starts with humility. It concludes with thanksgiving. And then it begins to show up in my service to this God that I love. That's what grace has done, folks. Grace overcame all that we have done, and we have done a lot. It it brought us to the place where we glory in the redemption that has been purchased by Christ. And in recognition of that, it begins to flesh itself out in some kind of service um, to the one who has saved me, who has found a way to save me. That's what grace, that's what grace looks like. Humility, thanksgiving, and service. Starts in humility, concludes with thanksgiving, and fleshes itself out in service. You know, I started to, started to do this, but I'm a, I'm a poor preacher, and so I can't afford it. I started to offer you money. 
but I don't have any money. I really don't. I don't have any money. I have a chapstick. Um, but I'll give you my chapstick. If you can tell me, if you can tell me the last Pat Scolds you do not get to guess, if you can tell me the last song that was ever recorded by the Beatles before they broke up. The last song that the Beatles ever recorded before they broke up and went their several ways. Anybody know? The last song that the Beatles ever recorded was a, was a tune entitled I, Me, Mine. You remember that one? I, Me, Mine. And folks... That is the theme song of the unregenerate world. I, me, mine. The song of the redeemed world is Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And it, is a, it is a Christian worldview summarized in a matter of Twelve or so words. Everything that I am, everything that I have, my my abilities, my talents, my my position, my my uh, every everything, all the the education, all of the opportunities, all everything that I am, I owe to this God, including including the fact that I'm a saved man. Because from Him and through Him and to Him. By the way, I don't know how you can make a greater statement about the sovereignty of God than that. But here it is. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Our Father, um, our souls, our souls are are aroused when we consider um, perhaps some things that we haven't given much thought to that that you're far far bigger than we ever dreamed that um, you're not the the man upstairs but that you are the the source the origin of of all things you are the mediator you are the the providential carekeeper and you are the goal you are the target you're the, you're the end result that people will spend eternities giving you glory. Glory that belongs to you and you only. And so marvelously deserved. So Father, would you, um, would you remind us of the place that we play in the cosmos? Would you remind us that that we've never known the mind of the Lord, 
that we've never been your counselor, that we've never given to you a gift, that you then owed us anything, that left to ourselves we would remain in our spiritual ignorance because your ways are are inscrutable and your judgments are past finding out. But because of grace, sovereign grace, you have seen fit to open our eyes to see certain things to be true about you. That you have made a way for someone who is as wicked as I to be reconciled, to be made right, and then to be joined in union with Jesus Christ. A gospel that is not good advice, but a gospel that is good news. And to those of us who have seen our sin, the gospel is wonderful news. So, Father, be glorified in how we serve you. Be glorified in how you are represented in this church. Be glorified in how the teachers teach and the listeners listen and all of us serve. Get glory for yourself, Father, to the end that you might be magnified in our culture. We commit ourselves to that and pray for the privilege of being a part of the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We pray, of course, in his name.